So we're going to do the book of John, starting in chapter 1 and verse 1. Did the air conditioning go on or off? Okay, let's keep it on. Unless it gets cold. As the Battle of Armageddon reaches its climax, when it seemed that mankind is about to become extinct, Jesus Christ comes in Revelation 19. The armies on the earth turn their weapons against Christ, but it will be useless, for out of his mouth will come a sharp sword. Revelation 19.15 And this sword destroys all opposing forces. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thus, a word from Christ's mouth eliminates all earthly dominions. He will come as King of kings and Lord of lords. I thought, I wasn't asked to give an introduction to the book of John. But I thought, since we're starting the book of John, might as well do some sort of an introduction. It won't be lengthy, but just um, a few things here. Jesus has two natures. His humanity is depicted in the Gospel of Luke as he is portrayed as the Son of Man. Here in John's Gospel, he is portrayed in his deity as the Son of God. John wrote his Gospel for the purpose of generating believing faith in the reader This gospel speaks of seven miracles. Changing water into wine in chapter 211. Healing of the royal officer's son in 4, 46 through 54. Uh, If you're you're flipping pages, we're we're just going to scream right through. There's a lot of, we're going to go down to verse 18 here today. And there's no way to dig deep into this thing. There's so much, I mean, we could spend two months on verse 1. And we're going to verse 18 tonight. So we're going to scamper across the top. We might crack the surface and look into it a little bit and keep running. Uh, The third miracle, healing the paralytic at at Bethesda, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Feeding the 5,000, chapter 6. Walking on water, chapter 6. Giving sight to the blind man, chapter 9. And raising Lazarus in chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. John also focuses on seven I am statements. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And in uh, chapter 15, he said, I am the vine. Now, John was one of the 12 apostles. And he's listed as number four behind Peter, Andrew, and his brother James in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. In Mark's list, he appears third in order with Andrew coming in behind him.
I forget about this next thing here when I'm reading John, as I'm reading 1st, 2nd John, as I'm reading Revelation. But this salty old sea dog of a man and his brother James were given nicknames. Who remembers what they were? Sons of Thunder. Who remembers why? Okay, right. Not because he's a lover. These 12 guys are walking around with Jesus, preaching the gospel. They get to a city of Samaria. They get rejected. John ain't happy. He says in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down and consume them? Like Elijah did? That sounds like something I'd say. Like every day. I'm not even kidding. I reckon there's still hope for me. And there's probably still hope for you. Let's kill them all, Lord. Just kill them all. John's also the apostle that was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. This is where John received the visions directly from the Lord, which he wrote down in what we know as the book of Revelation. It's the story of the end times and the end of the world and the end of the age, but we also get a glimpse into life for the believer in paradise. Let's take a look at our um, our section here. We'll go starting in verse 1 down to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, they have... As many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who is coming after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So verse 1. We have... In the beginning, there was God and the Word. That word beginning is RK, 
from the Greek, and it means a commencement, the first estate. This is in reference to the beginning of creation, not God's beginning. Super important that we understand that. This is not a reference to a beginning point of God. This is a reference to the beginning of creation. For we know that God is eternal, who has no beginning or no end. The eternal God is your refuge, declares Deuteronomy 33, 27. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans 1, 20. 2 Timothy 1, 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, and this is one of my favorite verses, who cannot lie, it is impossible for God to lie, promised when? Before time began. He exists outside of time. Revelation 1.8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who was to come, the Almighty. Jesus is not claiming to have a beginning or an end himself. He's claiming that all created things begin and end with him. That's the claim. Okay, so it is getting cold in here now, isn't it? Isn't it? Like, whoa. Will it? I hope so. Man, that, that came on fast. First John 1 John 1.1. Same guy writing this, writing another epistle. At the, end of the, at the end of the Bible here, 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The key word is was. He was from the beginning. He was already there. John 17, 5, and now, O Father, glorify, now Jesus talking, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, before the world was. Okay? So, let's get that straight on the beginning. The beginning of creation, not the beginning of God. God has no beginning. He's eternal. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around the idea of eternity. Because it, it kind of goes in both directions, right? It, it goes... For infinity before time and infinity after time. When I'm when I'm teaching the in the children's ministry, I use time, terms of time, for lack of a better term, and I and I try and explain to these kids. Okay, so imagine you've you've died and you've and you've you've gone to heaven, and there you're in heaven with the Lord in paradise, and you've been in heaven for a million years. And they're looking at me, right, Justin? 
And then I tell them, well, that's just like the first day because you just got there. Because the second day is like a million years. But then there's the third day. And that's like a million years. But then you get to day four and it's another million years. And they're... What, you mean like, like it never ends? And that's the idea I'm trying to get across. It never ends. He never began. He just always was. And so in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. The Greek word that means something said, something spoken, including the thought. The idea behind that word is that the thought is included. There's always a thought behind what is said. God did not only speak the universe into existence, he first thought it. He imagined it. He used his intelligence. So, in the beginning, when God already existed and decided to create something, his intelligence and his thoughts, his word, was present. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. As humans, we take our brains with us wherever we go. Now, hang on, ladies. Why is that guy always laughing at me? We cannot separate our thoughts from our physical bodies. So likewise, wherever God is, his thoughts are there. And since God is everywhere, omnipresent, his thoughts must then be everywhere also. Imagine, so I'm sitting here and I'm cranking out this Bible study, right? And you start contemplating these things. Like, I've thought about this stuff before. I've had my mind blown before. But you forget about it, right? You go back to work. You go, you, you go cut the grass. You go ride your bike. You go take a shower. You go eat a steak. Whatever, whatever you do. You forget about this stuff. And then you come back to it. God is everywhere. Now, we ain't going down the new age road. I I actually had a guy tell me I was God. You you are God. I said, what? You're God. I didn't know what to say to him. I said, well, then worship me. (laughs) I forget what he said. Then he went on to talk about the the air between us. That's energy. We're connected. All, you know, all this, this weird stuff. But God is everywhere, and his thoughts must be everywhere. Which is why John writes in 1b that the word was with God. That word with is prose. And it means... 
to be near, to be in the same place, to be at the same time, the same occasion, among, together, connected. God's word was connected to him. Revelation 19.13 says he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. His name is called the word of God. That's kind of a funky statement, isn't it? But Titus 1.2 said God cannot lie. God's word says that his name is the word of God. Period. That's what it is. Now, the term God here in verse 1 is the term theos. And it speaks of his deity. The supreme divinity. The almighty. The one and only true God. This term speaks of his supremacy, not his multifaceted Godhead. This term speaks of his omnipotence, right? Omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. Omnipotence, all-powerful. Revelation 19.6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And then verse 1, finishes it off and says, the word was God. The spoken word of God actually is God Almighty, if I read that right, if I read that correctly. The word was God. Radical statements. The word is his very character. Truth. This is the only truth that we have in the universe right here. Just like God is love, just like God is light, he is also his word, which is truth. Something that is imperative to understand The word is not God the Father. The word is distinct from the Father. The word was with God. And the word was God. Right? Is your your brain twisted yet? Verse 2, John now changes the term... From the word to he. He was in the beginning with God. Is he talking about the word? Yes, he is. Still speaking of the word, John now refers to the word as he. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word there is not theos this time. It's Elohim. It's a tri-compound unity, and it speaks of the Trinity. It's a plural term for one God.
Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, check this out. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over creep, every creeping thing that creeps the earth. That's my hunting and fishing verse right there. But who's God talking to when he says, let us make man in our image? There's only one answer that anyone can come up with. Because there ain't no one else there. I know he ain't talking to the cow or the cat. He's talking to his son. Now we have, he was in the beginning with God. Could we then say by simply carrying out the logic, the word was God. The word was called he. He was with God. God was with God. God was with himself. Right? Just doing the math. Yet somehow, he's separate and distinct. A Christian minister once had a member of a well-known Jehovah's Witness cult in his audience who would constantly uh, interrupt the meeting by shouting out and heckling. You cannot prove that Jesus is the eternal son of God, he said. He was the firstborn of every creature. So how? So he could not be deity. The eternal father must therefore be older than his son. And, in, and if Christ is not as old as his father, then he is not eternal. And if he's not eternal, he cannot be God. Can you imagine a guy yelling that at you? The Jehovah's Witness, man, they are slick. And if they come knocking on your door, you better be studied up, man, because they're going to try and trick you. Come see me afterwards, I'll tell you how to get them. <laughs> don't answer. No, answer the door can't get them if you don't answer the door you want to win yeah um just kidding don't want to do that so the preacher carefully considered the statement a father must be older than his son okay so then he gave this reply while you might make such a point concerning an earthly parent it certainly does not apply when we speak of god I will prove to you that by your own, I will prove that to you by your own words. You've called God the eternal father. But how can that how can God be the eternal father and not just God without having an eternal son? Eternal fatherhood demands eternal sonship. When did your own paternal parent be, begin to be your father? At the very moment you became his son. And not before. While time must elapse before one can become a human father, this is not true of God. His eternal father, he is an eternal father, and therefore he must have an eternal son. I love that. 
God gave that guy wisdom to come up with that kind of an explanation. Everything we read here and elsewhere in Scripture points to a triune God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus himself said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Go, and he's talking to us, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. All means all here in the Greek, in the English, in whatever language you pick. Every cow, the sun, the moon, every mountain, every lake, every oxygen molecule, every atom. Every subatomic particle. Everything that this pulpit is made of. He made. And it was made through him. The him in verse 3 is the he in verse 2. Who was the word in verse 1. Who was God, who was distinct from God the Father... Who was he with, in verse 1? Bear with me as I read what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 13 through 13-22. Paul writes, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. By the way, the firstborn right there doesn't mean that he was born. Firstborn is his term of authority. It speaks of his authority, his position of authority. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is, in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, Me, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have been reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. It's amazing when I think about God sent his son to to the earth, who never sinned, perfectly righteous. And here I am, a rotten scoundrel. Can't even count my sin. God takes all of my sin, lays it on his son, 
kills his son, makes his son pay for my sin, takes all of the righteousness from his son, puts it on me. He says, there you go. Righteous. And then when he looks at me, he looks at me through the lens of his son. And when he sees me, he really sees me as righteous. I am righteous in his sight. That is amazing. Verse 4, we have life and light. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Eternal life. 1 John 1, 11-13. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has life... Sorry, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And John, he just simplifies it right down to the bone. If you don't have the Son, Jesus... You don't have eternal life, period. You know, there's, most churches in America are not teaching these things. They are not going to sit up on a pulpit and confront people with the truth. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. If you don't know that you have eternal life, something is wrong. If you are still wondering about where you're going to end up in eternity, whether in heaven or the lake of fire, something's wrong. Because the Bible says that you can know. It ain't got nothing to do with whether I'm good or not. He's the good one. Does that make sense? Eternal life speaks of the quality, not the quantity. I used to think in terms of time, right? Like I, like I share with the kids. You know, millions and millions and millions and millions, millions of years, day after day after day, it never ends. And that's part of it. It, it is a never-ending thing. And I guess you could call that quantity. I have eternal life right now. Right here and now. And everyone else in here who has been born again is experiencing eternal life right now as we speak. It's a quality of life. I've got peace. I've got... I go right to the throne of the creator of the universe. Every molecule is at his disposal to help me with whatever I need help with. And yet, I don't set my mind on it often enough, do I? Because I've got to go brush my teeth, or go eat my steak, or go to work, or, you know, go trim the tree. Whatever. We, I get distracted. And I'm convinced the older I get, the easier I get distracted. Yeah, man, when I was, when I was young and born again, man, I was... Focused. I was on fire. And I wish I was like that now. You know, I'm, I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, not, not the good old days, but I, I remember. 
I just, I, I feel like it's so easy for me to become distracted. We do not have to wait for eternal life. While we are here on earth, we are at war. When we enter God's presence, our war will be over. If you're here and you don't realize you're at war, I'm going to say something's wrong again. We are in a spiritual battle. And it's, it's for our souls. And, man, if life is great and you're just cruising down and, and man, think, it's just peaceful, man, and I'm just going with the flow. I'd almost say maybe you ain't a Christian. We are in a spiritual battle for our souls. It's, it is, for me, it's temptation constantly. I, I can't even drive down a 605 freeway, man. I tell the Lord, you know, put blinders on me like a horse so I don't see the billboards. I mean, it's, I mean, the world is trying to kill me. There will be nothing but peace. In him was the life. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. Verse 14 said, the word became flesh. Now we see here that verse 4 talks about light. John 8, 12 uh, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have eternal life. Sorry. Shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John twelve forty six. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus is the light of men and women. He is our hope. He is what's good. Apart from him, we are still in our sins. Now look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word for darkness there is called scotia, and it means dimness or obscurity. It's a reference to evil. It's a reference to separation from God. And then that word there, comprehend, means to take eagerly or to seize or to possess or to overtake. The darkness is unable to overtake the light. It's impossible. Darkness can only overtake the light once the light is removed. Go ahead, flick off the light switch, see what happens. You remove the light, darkness comes in and takes over. John 3.19, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world 
And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Light dispels darkness. Darkness cannot exist where there is light. I know it seems like kind of a redundant, like no-brainer, like yeah, no duh. But think about it. I mean, think about that for a while. Darkness cannot exist where there is light. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know why I just thought of this. Um, when I was 10 or 11 years old, my grandparents took us all over the place in the United States. And we ended up in, at Mount Rushmore. Great experience. And, and at Mount Rushmore, they have these, these caves uh, besides the, the sculpture on Mount Rushmore. And I remember you know, taking this, this tour down into these big caves. And we got into this big you know, compartment and there was probably this many people in here, I don't know, 50, 60 people. And we're kind of standing on this path. And the tour guy says, okay, we're going to turn the lights off now. And so, you know, make sure you're standing on solid ground. So he flicks off the lights. And I'm telling you, it was so dark in there, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face like this. And he's talking to us. And he says, now I'm going I'm to light a match. And so he whipped out a book of matches struck a match, one single match. And you would not believe how that cave lit up from one single match. It, it, was, it was awesome how that little source of light pushed every bit of darkness out of that gigantic room. The only way for me not to walk in darkness, the, way, the only way for me not to fulfill the lust of my own flesh, the only way for me not to give in to temptation and sin is to put off my old man and to put on Christ. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Crucified means nailed to a tree. That's what it means. Have you nailed your sin and your lust to a tree? It is a slow, painful, agonizing death. The only way to have victory over the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 14. I'm leaving plenty of room for John the Baptist to get covered by Mr. Andre next week. John, John's an interesting guy, but there's... There's just so much here that I wanted to get to. So let's look at verse 14. The word became flesh. Okay, so... I want to do some more math. We've already seen that the word of God was God in verse 1. Now we see the word become flesh. So, 
God became flesh. Who are we talking about? Talking about the Lord Jesus. We've been talking about Jesus since the first word of the first verse. Now, Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The, the word flesh is a literal term. He became a human. He became a man. Don't ask me how. I reckon if we knew exactly how all that was, came about, we'd be God. That's why he's God. You know, Paul, what did Paul write? He said, um, oh, what's that verse? I can see through a glass dimly right now, but when I get to heaven or when I get there, I will see face to face or I will see clearly. Right? People... Family members, they'll ask me, hey, why, did, why, did, why did God do this? Why did God do that? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question, though. I, I, I think this is why he did it, but it doesn't really say. We'll ask him when we get there. Hebrews 2.11, for both he who, check this verse out. I had to read it like six times myself or so. For he who sanctifies... And those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He who sanctifies. Who's this? It's the Lord. Those who are being sanctified. Who's that? That's us. So you got the Lord who's sanctifying. You got us who's being sanctified. All, are all of one. The Lord is, is making himself one with us. According to this verse. For which reason he is not ashamed to be called their brethren. Hebrews 2.11. I'm pretty sure that's the first time I've tripped out on that verse. God became 100% man. But not a sinful man. Like you and I. We got that right. He did not inherit sin nature. Critical. Critical point. Gotta be there. There's some things that we don't gotta agree upon. This one we have to agree upon. Jesus did not have sin. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Not a man. There was no man involved in his conception. Right? Where did sin come from? Adam. Right? Eve ate. She got tricked. Adam got blamed because he knew what he was doing. Right? So God said, sin entered the world through Adam. Right? And on down from Adam, everyone else inherited it. Right? We are sinners because of Adam. Not Jesus. Key point. He was born of a virgin. And he was born for a purpose. He was born to be the ultimate sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. That's why he was born. That's why he came. 
That was his primary goal. And he did a bunch of other things along the way. Romans 5, 17 through 19. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, Adam, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of, uh, the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification by life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, Adam, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, Jesus. That is heavy duty stuff out of Romans chapter 5. John saw his glory. Right? He said, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. The word there is doxa. speaks of dignity, honor, and praise. The kind of dignity and honor that no man on earth has ever possessed except for the one and only Son of the living God. Full of grace speaks of undeserved favor. You know, you think back about the sons of thunder. Lord, let's, let's cook them. They didn't want to hear our words. Let's just kill them all, Lord, and we'll go preach about love in the next town. These were his, his disciples. And he, he says, no. Undeserved favor. That's grace. Mercy is you get exactly what you deserve. No, that's justice. Sorry. Mercy is getting less than you deserve. Justice is getting exactly what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve, undeserved favor. I was just waiting for you to straighten me out there, Adam. He's like, yeah, you're right, man. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> Shh. Full of grace, full of truth, absolute universal truth, straight truth. Right here. Pure truth. No one's teaching truth. We homeschool our kids because of the things that they teach in school. It's okay to have two daddies. You're in kindergarten, you know, here's a, here's a package of condoms. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, the boys can use the girls' restroom. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Insane. Where was I? There's countless accounts in the gospel where Jesus forgives and heals sinners. He prayed for the people that were killing him. They're driving nails into his ankles, and he's asking God to forgive them. That ain't what I do. I'm looking for revenge. He's my example. That is my example. That is... Jesus was the baddest dude that ever lived. And that's my example. 
he bore the punishment for the sins of the world. And I'm talking every sin, from Adam to me to my kids. When my kids grow up and have kids, when their kids grow up and have kids, Jesus paid for sins that ain't even been committed yet. The, the six million murders that Hitler committed, that was just a small little piece of fraction of, of sins and, and punishment that Jesus had to go through. He paid for that. If Hitler would have repented, Hitler would be in heaven right now. That's how good he is. He paid for the sin. It's amazing. It is amazing to, comp- to, to try and comprehend the Lord. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus drew a line in the sand right there. He said, now you have to decide. He cannot be one of many good teachers. He must either be who he claims he is, which is God Almighty, or he's the biggest liar that ever lived in the history of the world. So which is he? You can't select, oh, he was a good teacher. He was a good teacher. It's because he was God. He claims to be God. He claims to be the only way. He claims to be the door. And either he is or he ain't. I personally know he is God because I know what he did to me November 20th, 1996. I was there when he changed me. Look at, jump up to verse 6. We got a couple minutes here. Now, Matthew tells it. Tells, talks about John the Baptist in, in, cha- in chapter 3 of Matthew. Don't turn there, but he tells us that John came preaching repentance from sin in the wilderness around Jordan. He claimed to be preparing the way for the Messiah. He was a rugged character living off the land. He was clothed in camel's hair and leather. He ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, many people from the towns and the cities came out to where he was to be baptized by him. He openly rebuked the hypocrites, particularly the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, he baptized Jesus one day and, and kicked off the Lord's public ministry. He saw Jesus come walking down. By the way, they were cousins. And he sees Jesus come walking down, and he, and he declared at the top of his voice, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Now notice that verse 6 tells us that John was sent from God. He was sent to bear witness of the light, the Messiah, the Savior. Now verse 13, if you jump down to verse 13, we notice the topic of birth. So start in verse 12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not born of blood, not born of flesh, not born of man, but of God. 
Jesus tells a story. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. First thing that God did when I invited him into my life to be my savior is he got his book of life and he wrote my name in it. (laughs) That is awesome. I got my name writ in God's book of life. I had a 10-year-old boy two weeks ago come up to me after, I don't know if it was a Mother's Day message or something. We talked about the book of life. And he come up to me after class. He had his head hung down a little bit. And I said, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I want my name in the book of life. And I said, well, all right, let's do it. And I prayed with that little brother. Like I do with all kinds of kids back there. And it ain't ain't me. It's the Lord. It's his word that's doing that. And it's amazing. Verse 15, John's aware of his call. He claims to be the very messenger that, pro- that the prophet Isaiah spoke of in, verse, in uh, Isaiah chapter 40. And he also recognizes his own inferiority com- compared to the coming Messiah. He said that he's, he's preferred before me, meaning that he ranks above me. John's disciples were upset one day because Jesus was becoming more popular than John. And John replied to his disciples, he must increase and I must decrease. John wasn't jealous. John had it right. This is to be my own motto for my own life. I must decrease so that Jesus can increase in me. I must crucify Daryl so that Christ can live in me. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To the artist, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the banker, he is the hidden treasure. The biologist, he is, he is the life. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he is the door. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the educator, he is the great teacher. To the engineer, he is the new and living way. To the farmer, he is the sower and the Lord of the harvest. To the florist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he is the true vine. To the judge, he is the righteous judge, the judge of all men. And to the juror, he is the faithful and true witness. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the lawyer, he is the counselor, the lawgiver, the advocate. To the newspaper man, he is the good news of great joy. To the philanthropist, he is the unspeakable gift. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he is the word of God. The sculptor, he is the living stone. To the statesman, he is the desire of all nations. To the student, he is the incarnate truth. 
To the theologian, he is the author and finisher of our faith. To the laborer, he is the giver of rest. To the sinner, he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. To the Christian, he is the Son of the living God. He is the Savior, the Redeemer, and the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. Help us honor you. Help us to live a life pleasing to you. Give us a hunger for your word. To be in it more. To pray to you more. To love others more. To die to ourselves that you might live through us. To perform your work. We love you, God. And we thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.